Hey, Bible Threads listeners, I've got a special announcement at the end of this episode. I'm pretty excited about it, and I know you will be too. So make sure you stick around to the end. And now, on to today's episode. Today we're finishing up our series, True Crimes Bible Edition. The Bible is incredibly interconnected with threads that run through it from beginning to end. In this podcast, I will uncover these threads, help you dig deeper into God's truth, and inspire you to live your life with greater confidence and joy. Welcome to Bible Threads with me, Dr. Bruce Becker. Throughout this series, we've investigated crimes committed by people in the Bible. In case you're new to this series, there are nine other episodes exploring crimes committed by a variety of individuals. Cain, Moses, King David, David's family, the judge Ehud, and the woman Jael who killed an enemy general during the time of Deborah, who served God's people as judge and prophet. Then there was a Levite whose concubine was murdered, and it had a domino effect that led to the eventual deaths of tens of thousands. Then there was King Ahaz and Queen Jezebel, who murdered Naboth for his vineyard. Then in our last episode, we investigated the crimes of the two Herods, Herod the Great and Herod Antipas, who lived at the time of Jesus. We've noted along the way that the Lord God responded to these crimes in different ways, sometimes with judgment, sometimes with grace and mercy. For those who despise the Lord God, the response was typically judgment. For those who believed in the Lord God, the response was typically grace and mercy. Now that's something we need to keep in mind. The Lord God shows grace and mercy to those who acknowledge Him as the Lord of heaven and earth. Well, today we want to investigate a crime committed by a man who was considered public enemy number one by Jesus' followers. He was a deeply religious man, an educated man, a man who loved the Old Testament law, and a man who hated Jesus. At his birth, his parents had given him the name Saul. We first want to look at Saul's background and education because they give us insight into who he was and what motivated him to commit the crimes that he did. We learn about Saul from two places in the Bible. One is the book of Acts, written by Dr. Luke. He chronicled the life of the early church, especially the missionary journeys of the apostles. The other source is from the letters written by the Apostle Paul who, earlier in his life, had been the murderer Saul. Saul the murderer and Paul the missionary were one and the same, separated by a miraculous conversion. According to historians, Saul was likely born between 5 B.C. and 5 A.D., making him a Jewish contemporary of Jesus. Saul was born in the city of Tarsus, which was, or I should say still is, located about 12 miles inland from the Mediterranean Sea in the southeast corner of what today is the country of Turkey, 
During the Roman Empire, Tarsus was the capital city of the Roman province of Cilicia, a significant city in terms of trade, culture, education, and influence. Tarsus had been an influential city in Asia Minor ever since the days of the Greek ruler Alexander the Great. And keep in mind that Alexander died in 323 BC. By the way, ten years before Alexander died, he marched through Tarsus with his army as he was conquering the known world. He stopped in Tarsus and took a dip, or bath if you will, in the temperature-challenged Sindus River. When he entered the cold river, his limbs and joints became stiff. His servants had to carry him out of the water. He was ill for many days and almost died. Imagine if he had, how world history would have changed. Anyway, for more than 300 years, Tarsus was a Greek city, also known as a Hellenized city, a city of influence in terms of east-west trade, advanced education, and contemporary Greek culture. Tarsus was the home to many philosophers, poets, and literary scholars. The schools of Tarsus had a great reputation. They rivaled the schools of Athens, Greece, and Alexandria, Egypt. And get this, there was a library in Tarsus that had 200,000 books, including not only literary works, but scientific works as well. Tarsus was no average city. Even the Apostle Paul mentioned that in Acts chapter 21. You see, at the conclusion of his third missionary journey, Paul traveled back to Jerusalem. There he was confronted by Jews from Asia Minor, present-day Turkey, who stirred up the Jerusalem crowds against Paul. They grabbed him in the temple and dragged him out of the temple in order to kill him. Now word reached the Roman troops stationed nearby that there was a riot in the streets. The troops came and essentially rescued Paul from imminent death and took him away to their garrison. Before entering the garrison, Paul asked the commander if he could address the crowd. The commander initially mistook Paul for an Egyptian fugitive who had previously led a revolt and then led 4,000 terrorists out into the desert to hide. Paul replied in Greek, No, 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 that's not me. Then he described himself, I am a Jew from Tarsus in Cilicia, a citizen of no ordinary city. Please let me speak to the people. For Paul to say that he was a citizen of no ordinary city was another way of saying, I am a citizen of a very important city. By the way, the commander allowed Paul to speak to the Jewish crowds. And when he did, he didn't speak in Greek, but in Aramaic. Aramaic was the language spoken by the Jews of Jesus' day. Remember, in the Old Testament times, the Israelites spoke Hebrew. Now, Hebrew and Aramaic were similar languages, sometimes called sister languages. And did you know that of all the Semitic languages in the ancient world, only two are still spoken today, Hebrew and Aramaic. Although Tarsus was a Greek city for three centuries, and it reflected Greek culture, when the Romans came, became the world's only superpower, it was the Roman general Pompey who gained control of Tarsus and made it subject to Rome. This happened in the year 67 BC. 
It was under Pompey that Tarsus became the capital city of the province of Cilicia. Yes, indeed, a very important city. In Tarsus, Saul grew up in a devout Jewish family. In his letter to the Corinthians living in the Greek city of Philippi, we learn more about his roots. The situation in Philippi was that there was a group of people known as the Judaizers who were becoming an increasing threat to the Christians living there. The Judaizers were either Jewish or Gentile converts to Christianity. They claimed to believe in Jesus as their Lord and Savior, but they also insisted that the Old Testament laws of Moses be followed to the T, especially the requirement for circumcision. Judaizers were especially proud of their Jewishness because they prided themselves in living according to Jewish laws and customs. Well, the Apostle Paul addressed this idea of Jewishness by pointing out that he personally had as much Jewishness as anyone. This is what he wrote. If someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day, of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee. As for zeal, persecuting the church. As for righteousness based on the law, faultless. All of these descriptive phrases are worth exploring a bit more because they give added insight into why Saul persecuted and murdered Christians. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel. Paul was born a Jew and was circumcised on the eighth day after birth as prescribed by Old Testament law. This entitled him to all of the benefits and privileges given to God's Old Testament chosen people. Of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. Not only was Paul of the people of Israel, he was also from the tribe of Benjamin. The tribe of Benjamin was significant among the Jews for several reasons. First, when the Assyrians invaded and took the northern ten tribes into captivity, the tribe of Benjamin joined the tribe of Judah and was spared from the Assyrian assault. And then, after the Babylonian captivity, the only two tribes to remain out of the original twelve were Benjamin and Judah, which became known as the land of Judea. Now, here's a trivia question for you. Is the city of Jerusalem located in the tribe of Benjamin or in the tribe of Judah? In the book of Joshua, there is one reference to Jerusalem being in the tribal boundaries of Benjamin and another reference to it being in the tribe of Judah. So what's the answer? The answer is yes. Jerusalem was located on the border of the tribes of Benjamin and Judah. So the tribe of Benjamin could legitimately claim the capital city of Jerusalem as being in their tribe. But Judah could make that claim as well. In fact, there's a Jewish tradition which claims that the altars and sanctuary of the temple in Jerusalem were located in the tribe of Benjamin, whereas the courts of the temple were located in the tribe of Judah. Just a tradition. Another feather in the cap of the tribe of Benjamin was that Benjamin's mother was Rachel, the patriarch Jacob's favorite wife, who also gave birth to Joseph, 
who became the number two ruler in all of Egypt. And finally, Israel's first king came from the tribe of Benjamin, King Saul, after whom the first century Saul was likely named. When Paul mentioned being a Hebrew of the Hebrews, it suggested that he and his family didn't just speak Greek and or Aramaic like most other people. When it came especially to their religious expressions and worship, they actually spoke Hebrew. Back to Paul's description. As to the law, a Pharisee. The Pharisees were the teachers of Israel, and there were two aspects of Jewish life that the Pharisees were especially committed to, the Old Testament law and the temple. We see that emphasis in Jesus' interaction with the Pharisees during his ministry. The Pharisees repeatedly challenged Jesus about his and his disciples not keeping the Old Testament law, especially the laws governing the Sabbath. Saul laid claim to the fact that not only was he a Pharisee, but that he cherished and lived out the Old Testament law as a Pharisee. As the zeal, a persecutor of the church. The word that Paul used for zeal referred to harassment that included violence. Paul was willing to use violence to enforce the law of Moses. So this led Saul to persecute the Christ followers because he thought they were blasphemers, that they were mockers of the Lord God of the Old Testament. As to the righteousness which is in the law, found blameless. Paul claimed that he followed the Old Testament laws completely. That meant he offered sacrifices as the Old Testament prescribed. He studied the books of Moses, the Torah. He lived according to all of the ceremonial laws. When he was Saul, he was a poster child for what it meant to be a Jew and a Pharisee. After Paul rattled off his qualifications for his Jewishness, he completely discounted his past qualifications. This is what he said, But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. All of his Jewishness of the past meant nothing now that he followed Jesus. While Saul was quite young, his family sent him to Jerusalem to receive his education at the school of Gamaliel. Gamaliel was a Pharisee and a scholar with expertise in the Old Testament law. Gamaliel was also a member of the Sanhedrin, the Jewish ruling council. He was highly respected by the Jewish people and the other religious leaders. When Paul was arrested in Jerusalem, which I referenced earlier, and addressed the people, he mentioned Gamaliel. Paul said, I am a Jew born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in this city. I studied under Gamaliel and was thoroughly trained in the law of our ancestors. I was just as zealous for God as any of you today. We first learn about Gamaliel in Acts chapter 5. Now, the story of Gamaliel isn't pertinent to Saul's crimes, but it's a story worth mentioning. Jesus' apostles had been teaching in Jerusalem and healing people after Jesus had ascended into heaven. This caused great jealousy among the Pharisees and the other religious leaders. So, they threw the apostles in jail. That night, an angel busted them out of jail, and the next day they were back in the temple teaching about Jesus. So the religious leaders had them arrested again, 
and brought before the Sanhedrin. The sentiment among the group was to kill the apostles. But then Gamaliel spoke up. But a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, who was honored by all the people, stood up in the Sanhedrin and ordered that the men be put outside for a little while. Then he addressed the Sanhedrin. Men of Israel, consider carefully what you intend to do to these men. Some time ago, Thoidas appeared, claiming to be somebody, and about 400 men rallied to him. He was killed, all his followers were dispersed, and it all came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean appeared in the days of the census and led a band of people in a revolt. He too was killed, and all his followers were scattered. Therefore, in the present case I advise you, leave these men alone. Let them go, for if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. But if it is from God, you will not be able to stop these men you will only find yourselves fighting against God. What wise advice Gamaliel offered. As the Jewish religious leaders would discover in the years and the decades to come, what Jesus' disciples were teaching was indeed God's doing. It was this Gamaliel whom Saul studied under and who was influenced by his emphasis on the Old Testament law. Saul became zealous to keep and protect the Old Testament law. Now, I hope this background about Saul, his family, and his education provides some insight into Saul's motives and actions in persecuting the followers of Jesus. We first meet Saul in the book of Acts, chapter 6. We meet him in connection with one of Jesus' followers, a man by the name of Stephen. Stephen is described as a man full of God's grace and power. He performed great wonders and signs among the people. Opposition arose, however, from members of the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, Jews of Cyrene and Alexandria, as well as the provinces of Cilicia and Asia, who began to argue with Stephen, but they could not stand up against the wisdom the Spirit gave him as he spoke. Did you catch that? Jews from Egypt and the Roman provinces of Cilicia and Asia. And guess who called the province of Cilicia his home? Yeah, it was Saul. I've always wondered whether Saul was one of the Jews who argued with Stephen or whether he was just a quiet bystander. The Bible doesn't tell us, so we won't make any assumptions. When these Jews couldn't stand up to the Stephen's spirit-filled words, they accused him of blasphemy against Moses and against God. They seized Stephen and brought him before the Sanhedrin, accusing him of speaking against this holy place, the temple, and against the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs Moses handed down to us. What followed was a lengthy address by Stephen in which he recounted Old Testament history, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Moses, and how the Old Testament Israelites repeatedly rejected the, Lord's God, the Lord God's prophets and leaders. Stephen then called out the religious leaders of his day for rejecting and murdering the very Son of God. 
Because of what he said and what he saw when he looked to the heavens, the crowd dragged him out of the city and stoned him to death. Here in Acts, we learn that Saul was at the stoning of Stephen, giving his approval. To give one's approval to a killing meant that Saul had a position of leadership and authority. Now, one might be inclined to say, well, he didn't do anything real bad. At least he didn't pick up stones and hurl them at Stephen. Maybe so. But in his letter to the Christians living in Galatia, Saul makes a full confession of his crimes. He says, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel I preached is not of human origin. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age, among my people, and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. Paul confessed that when he was Saul, he tried to annihilate the church of God by destroying the people of Christ. On the day that Stephen was stoned to death, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. And Acts chapter 8 tells us that Saul began to destroy the church, going from house to house. He dragged off men and women and put them in prison. On one occasion, Saul left Jerusalem and headed to Damascus in Syria. He went with the intention of arresting the Christians living there and bringing them back to Jerusalem to be imprisoned. On that road to Damascus, the Lord Jesus appeared to him. Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, who you are persecuting. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. Saul had to be led into the city because he was blind. After three days, the Lord Jesus sent a disciple named Ananias to restore Saul's eyesight so he could see again, and also to be filled with the Holy Spirit. In Paul's letter to the Galatians, he described his experience this way, But when God, who set me apart from my mother's womb and called me by His grace, was pleased to reveal His Son in me, so that I might preach Him among the Gentiles. The murderer Saul was called by God's grace to proclaim the name of Jesus to the Gentile world. The life of Saul turned Paul is one of the most powerful stories of God's grace in the New Testament. Just think of it. The Lord Jesus appeared one day to Saul, Christian enemy number one, who was seeking to destroy the church of God. Yet through an act of grace, this Christ-hating Pharisee became the New Testament's greatest missionary of Christ. It's only God's grace that could have converted Saul to Paul. God's grace is never deserved. Saul didn't deserve it, and we haven't deserved it either. But because of Jesus, God gives us his grace freely and fully. Why don't you take a moment today to give thanks that God demonstrated his grace to people like Saul and still demonstrates it to people like you and me. True Crimes, Bible Edition. 
10 stories of people who committed crimes, 10 stories of people who either experienced God's judgment for those crimes or God's grace in spite of their crimes. By what Jesus did in his life and through his death, the guilt of whatever crimes and misdeeds we have done have been washed away in the blood of Jesus. That's what God's grace is all about. I'd love to hear any comment you have about this series. Please email me at bruce at timeofgrace.org. Thanks for sticking around for my announcement. I've got a special episode coming up next month. I was interviewed by Janet Parshall, host of the national radio talk show In the Market on the Moody Radio Network. Janet's show looks at major issues from a Christian perspective. And the major issue that brought me to her show? Well, we talked about a short book I wrote entitled, Give Satan the Credit He Is Due. It's time to take Satan seriously. Janet was most gracious and is allowing us to air this episode right here on Bible Threads. Watch for it next month. This interview with Janet Parshall sets the stage for what's next on Bible Threads. With our next episode, we'll be starting a brand new series entitled Intersections. This series will focus on where the supernatural spirit world intersects with the world of the Bible. In it, we'll uncover two major threads beginning in Genesis and weaving all the way to the book of Revelation. Please join me. And thanks for listening. And God bless.